You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Good morning, Harvest. It is very good to be with you today, and we will be studying 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, Pastor Paul is spending some time uh, with his wife, uh, Sue, and I'm very glad to be able to um, share with you and preach from God's Word, one of my favorite uh, stories in all of Scripture. Uh, you'll see on the screen and in your notes, I've summarized this, uh, this sermon, the Gospel according to, Mephib- to Mephibosheth, because there are distinct features between the relationship of the two main characters in this story, King David and Mephibosheth, There are distinct features between the kindness David chose Mephibosheth and the grace that the Lord Jesus Christ chose to undeserving sinners like us. And now this name is pretty uh, unique, and I've practiced it a bunch of times so that I can say it, hopefully without stumbling, but I would like you to try and say it with me. It's spelled out there phonetically, okay? The stress is on the second syllable, Mephibosheth. Let's try and say this together. Ready? Three, two, one. Mephibosheth. That's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. You guys got it? All right. So this is the gospel according to Mephibosheth. The gospel is good news. The good news that Mephibosheth received was the grace and kindness of King David. And the good news that sinners like us receive from our Lord is the grace of God through Jesus Christ, received by faith alone. So what is grace? Easy to, to define, a whole different thing to, be, to experience. Uh, simply said, you can write this down, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's unmerited in as much as we did and can do nothing to earn it. It's God's favor, meaning that in Jesus Christ... We are no longer considered enemies and sinners and condemned, but because Jesus Christ suffered for our sin, we are forgiven and justified and no longer enemies but children and no longer separated from him but given access to the goodness of his presence. Easy to define a whole different thing to experience. And I I believe many churchgoers, especially those of you who call Harvest Home, understand how we would define grace biblically, but unfortunately, I believe that many churchgoers, as I myself did at one point, we stop short of experiencing the full effect of the power of grace in our lives. We stop short, kind of like a guy who understands the obligation of doing something nice for his girlfriend on Valentine's Day, but really wants to put no effort into it. So, But he saw that commercial on TV for the Valentine's Day KFC chicken bucket and figures, like, well, I got got to buy something for her. Okay, yeah, guy, but you missed the whole point. Or like that cousin of yours who... You know, your aunt and, uncle, aunt and uncle literally had to drag them out to the family gathering, and the whole time they're just, they're just sitting in the corner on a couch by themselves, scrolling through their phone. It's like, what? You just wanted me to show up. I, I just showed up. It's like, 
No, man, you missed the whole point. Or like the churchgoer who thinks that they just want enough grace to have a clear conscience, but they don't want enough to actually openly express any form of love or adoration for Jesus Christ. And be sure, if you have believed in the grace of God that Jesus died for your sins, praise God, you are forgiven. But the grace of God and forgiveness, church, is not the summit of the Christian experience. You've only just reached base camp. The summit of the Christian experience is worship for the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship that is awoken because we understand and experience the full grace of God. In his book, Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer said this, Christ may be received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. The man is saved, but he's not hungry nor thirsty after God. In fact, he is specifically taught to be satisfied and encouraged to be content with little. We're studying Mephibosheth because his response to the grace of David is the response that we must have to the grace of God. We're going to see five features of God's grace. And what we will aim to understand today is that the good news of God's grace will awaken adoration in the hearts of believers for their Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope you want this as I want it myself in my life. Well, understanding this is our goal today, let's read our passage at hand. 2 Samuel chapter 9, I'm going to read verse 6 to verse 8. Can you please stand with me as we always do in honor of God as we read his word? And having prayed after we read, we can be seated. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I and well, please take your seats. Five features that we believe the Lord is going to show us. Five features of God's grace that will awaken adoration for Jesus Christ. Here's the first quality. Grace is earned by another. Grace is earned by another. I'm going to read chapter 9, verse 1. Put your eyes back down there in the book again. Verse 1, and David said, Is there anyone left of at the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Okay, understand that this time in David's life, he was no longer the shepherd boy in the field. He was the warrior king who had defeated all of his enemies. And at this time, having defeated all of his enemies, he remembered a promise that he made to his best friend Jonathan. That's in 1 Samuel 20. It says this, Jonathan speaking to David, and do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. 
And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. All right, so who are these enemies that Jonathan was talking about that he asked the Lord to take vengeance upon? Do you remember? It's pretty remarkable. His dad, King Saul. Do you remember the story? Saul was the king of Israel. Jonathan was his son. And Jonathan would have been the king by birth, but David would be the next king by God's choice because he was a man after his own heart. Saul was jealous, so he tried to kill David. And Jonathan, if he was looking out for his own interests, would have let his dad go. But Jonathan was best friends with David. And he protected David. What quality of love is this? That he considered friendship with David more important than royal leadership. That's great love. And years later, David's enemies were defeated. And unfortunately, in the turmoil, Jonathan died. But after David's enemies were defeated, David remembered his promise to show kindness to his house. Grace is earned by another. And church, this is good news. This is good news for us today. Because grace is not earned by us Grace is earned by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that means, that means the pressure is off. The pressure is off. Uh, maybe you've um, looked to buy a new phone, but you want, didn't like a brand new phone, but you still wanted like a new phone, so you went to get a new used phone on Kijiji. But when you bought it, um, it had all of these apps and all of these wallpapers and all of these photos and all of these contacts from this person that you don't know and don't really care to have anymore. And manufacturers know this, so they have something in their settings called a button where you can press uh, that's re restore to factory default. Do you know this? All phones have it. And when you press it, it erases everything, so pretty much you just pulled the phone out of the box, brand spanking new. In church, there is a default factory setting in the human nature. The default factory setting in the human nature is works-based salvation. If I'm going to earn it, i got to work for it. But, but we must confess, if we are believers who believe in the authority of God's word, there is no degree of righteous performance that can earn us anything from God. This is good news. The pressure's off because Jesus earned the righteousness that gains us the favor of God. And we don't have to work for it. This is good news, and if you understand grace in this way, it should awaken adoration in your heart. Why? Because it proves who is really worthy of praise, and that's God. Grace will awaken adoration because it proves God's worthiness for praise. When we build up all of these, look at these little things. Look how many times I prayed for my small group. Look how many times I shared the gospel. Look how many times I've come to church. When we understand that 
Jesus is the only one worthy of praise and the pressure's off us, we're gonna have the same attitude the Apostle Paul did. I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And if you understand grace, your soul will be awakened to show adoration to Jesus Christ because nothing we do is worthy of praise, but everything Jesus has done is worthy of our celebration. That's the first quality of grace. Grace is earned by another. Here's the next. Grace is offered despite our condition. If you're taking notes, write this. Grace is offered despite our condition. Well, let's first understand Mephibosheth's condition, and then we'll understand what our condition is. We see it in chapter 9, verse 2 to verse 4. It says, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There still is a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. So what's Mephibosheth's condition? Well, Mephibosheth was an enemy of David. Notice that David didn't say, is there anyone left of the house of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? No. He said, is there anyone else left in the house of the man that tried to kill me? I want to show kindness to him. Not only was he an enemy, but he was impotent. The passage said he was crippled in his feet. Even if Mephibosheth wanted the favor of David, even if he wanted his grace, unless he was called and unless literally he was carried, he would not have been able to come to the king's presence. In church, this is good news for us too. Because do you know what our condition is? I am Mephibosheth. We are Mephibosheth. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are all enemies of God, crippled and dead in our sin. Now, the predominant worldview in our culture doesn't like this concept and actually vehemently um, uh, beats back against it. Uh, the predominant worldview in our culture wants to believe that every human being is inherently good. And frankly, maybe you believe that too. But if you, we want to have any serious conversation about the Christian faith, then let's understand what Jesus himself, the one through whom all of us were created, said about human nature. He said something very important in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So the emphasis is about God and his goodness, but Jesus says something about our human nature. First, he says, if you who are evil, Jesus affirms the, the nature of humanity is that we're evil. And you might be thinking, so, well, is he talking to the Pharisees? That, that? No, he was talking to his own disciples. But interestingly, he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, and then I was reading this, so this is confusing. How can we be inherently evil, but then still have a capacity to do good things. 
So I thought to myself, don't worry about it. I took five semesters of New Testament Greek. I can read original languages. I'm going to go in, I can study, and I figure out exactly what it means, and I'm going to learn all these people so that they really know what Jesus meant. And I looked into it. And you know, want to know what Jesus means when he says that we are evil? Evil means evil. <laughs> he means it in the same way that Jesus says, out of the heart of man come all evil things like lust and sexual immorality and murder. Do you know that the Bible teaches that there is a curse on humanity? We are cursed because of sin. But this is good news. This is good news because grace is offered despite my condition. And moreover, this will awaken affection in the heart of the believer because it proves God's love for me. What good is there in you for you to be loved? What good is there in me for me to be loved? Nothing. But maybe some of you have spent so long as followers of Jesus Christ, knowing that you are loved because you are his children, because you are born again and have received his grace, maybe for so long you've forgotten this. How many months or years of shame and fear would have been prevented in your life if you only believed God's love for you? Now I'm going to read a verse, Psalm 103, verse 10 to 13, and this is one of those verses that when you hear it, you say amen afterwards. Psalm 103, 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Oh, and as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Amen? Amen. Amen. But you know what, church? Some of us in here have not remembered this and have forgotten it. Yet I ask a favor of you from those who know this, and those of you who believe this, I need you to lift your voices now. I need you to lift your voices and tell your brothers and sisters in Christ, God loves you. Lift your voices now and tell them that. And he does more than you could ever know. Grace is offered despite our condition. It's good news because apart from Christ, I am an unworthy sinner. But in Christ, I am dearly loved, and that awakens adoration in me because it proves God's love for me. Here's the third quality. Grace is received in humble contrition. Write this down. Grace is received in humble contrition. Contrition is what God wants when we come to him to receive his grace. Let's read verse 5 to 8 excuse me, verse 6 to 8, and we'll understand how Mephibosheth showed contrition before David. Verse 6, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. 
And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the lands of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? By Mephibosheth's physical posture and by Mephibosheth's verbal confession, his contr- he showed and demonstrated contrition. And the contrition acknowledged King David you are superior, and I, I am so inferior. And this is the same posture that God wants us to approach him today if we are going to receive God's grace. But really, am I supposed to consider myself a dead dog? Listen to this, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. God opposes the proud. But he gives, do you know it? Grace to the humble. That's right. And this is good news. This is good news for us. Because God gives grace to the humble, we can approach him in humble contrition. And if we're going to do this, I would suggest we start thinking and acting in the same way that water would think and act if it had a will. See, whenever water would fall from the sky or flow down a river, the the farther you descend towards sea level, the the quicker and faster it flows. And it always just wants to go to the lowest place. And the more you descend towards sea level, the more you'll see water gather together unless unless you build a dam. And then you restrict water from where it wants to go. As a dam keeps water from going to the place it wants to go, so pride keeps the grace of God from flowing into our lives. We all build dams of pride in our life. Instead of humbling ourselves, what do we do? Well, here's one dam we build. Instead of humbling ourselves, we try to justify ourselves. We don't look for the lowest place. We're aiming for the highest place because we want all the praise. Pride is thinking much of self and little of God. But here's another dam we build. This is the one I go to most often. Instead of humbling ourselves, we try to fix ourselves. Do you do this like I do? I I know God is superior, and and I know I'm inferior, and I know there's a problem and it needs to be fixed, but just don't worry, God. I will fix myself up, and then I will come to you. as if we needed to cleanse ourselves to prove to God that we're worthy of his love. This is pride. God wants us only to come to him in the same manner Mephibosheth did. Let's fall on our face and confess our unworthiness. But there's a third dam that we built. Instead of humbling ourselves, we justify ourselves. Instead of humbling ourselves, we fix ourselves. 
instead of humbling of ourselves, some of us shame ourselves. We are much more keenly aware, maybe you are, of the sin that we've committed. But we convince ourselves that we're so inferior and the things I've done are so wrong, the forgiveness is off the table. It's not on the menu. Remember, pride is thinking much of self and little of God. Friends, maybe you've been shaming yourself and thinking yourself so unworthy that forgiveness is off the table. This is still pride. You're thinking so much of your sin. Do you think that the Lord's arm is too short to forgive you? Friends, it is not. It's a different form, but it's still a dam that keeps the grace of God from flowing into your life. The good news of grace means that God gives it to the humble, and this will awaken affection in our hearts. Do you know why? It will awake affection in our hearts because when we, when you go to God in humble contrition, God will not despise you. Listen to this verse and take hope, Christian. Psalm 51, 17. What does God want from you? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Stop building that dam. Rip it down. Tear it down. Stop justifying yourself. Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop shaming yourself. Tear the damn down and come to God as you are and look to Christ. But who amongst you have never bowed the knee before God? Who amongst you has never went to Jesus and confessed his superiority and your inferiority? If today you recognize that you have sin in your life and you are in need of forgiveness, if you would bend the knee today in humble contrition as Mephibosheth did, you will receive grace. Why? Why? Because Jesus suffered what you should have suffered. He paid the price that you should have paid. So that when you come to him in humble contrition and believe he died in your place, in a moment, you are no longer an enemy cast off. You can take your seat at the table. Believe on the Lord Jesus today and you will be saved. Turn to him and say the words, I'm sorry, I was wrong, you're holy, I'm sinful, forgive me, I believe Jesus died. Justified. These are the qualities of grace. It awakens adoration because it proves God won't despise me. And then this, oh, we keep climbing towards the summit. Here's the fourth quality. Grace is enjoyed inexhaustibly. Grace is enjoyed inexhaustibly. I'm going to read the next part of the passage and we'll see. Uh, I want you to follow along with me, okay? Often when you're reading scripture, if you see repetition, 
generally means emphasis. So I need you to get your heads in, the, in your Bible. We're going to read verse 7, then verse 9 to 13. And I want you to look for a specific phrase that is repeated multiple times, okay? So we'll see what Mephibosheth really cared about and what he really wanted. I love that I hear pages turning. That's great. Let's look in our Bibles. Verse 7, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Verse 9, Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that the Lord my king commands his servants, so your servants will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Okay, tell me, what was the phrase that you heard repeated many times? Tell me. That's right. He ate at the king's table. But this is interesting, because one of the aspects of David's kindness was that David gave him the land that was taken away from his grandfather Saul. And he was given servants to be able to work the field for him. So he had property, he had land, he had servants, he had food to eat at his own table. But what did he want? What did he desire? Not the material possessions that came from grace, but to sit and dwell in the presence of the one who showed him grace. This is adoration. This is joy inexhaustible to dwell in the presence of God. And this is good news for us, church. It's good news because, because worldly pleasures do not produce joy. Worldly pleasures produce vanity. Maybe you've heard that verse before or you recall it from the Ecclesiastes. Do you remember that? King Solomon, who looked for every pleasure in all of the world, and he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then he says this. He says, it's like chasing after the wind. So I've never had a dog, but someday my wife and I would love to have a dog. And I imagine playing fetch with a dog is a lot more fun for the dog than the human. Um, but imagine if uh, someone wanted to play fetch with you, like they would play fetch with a dog. He's like, come on, Mark. You want the ball? You want the ball? Here, go, go get the ball. He's like, that would kind of feel like, like, this is foolish. What are you doing? And this is going to be so repetitive and boring. And Worldly pleasures and seeking them for your joy is kind of like playing fetch. But what you're playing fetch with isn't a ball. It's the wind. Do you want to play? Come on, guys. Come on, boy. You want all that money? Come on, go get it. Go catch it. You want that job? You want that career? Come on, you want that girl? 
yeah, 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 you want that pride? Or you want that academic success? You want that, uh, that, that athletic achievement? Go grab it, go grab it, you can get it. You can get it, you, can, you want your child's happiness? Go get, go get it. Have you had enough? Okay, maybe that sounded demeaning because I said the thing that you were chasing after and certainly looked foolish. But that's because looking for joy in worldly pleasures is foolish. These things can never satisfy what your soul desires, but, but grace will awaken adoration in your heart because it proves that God's glory satisfies. Amen? All Mephibosheth wanted was to dwell in the presence of the king. And it was satisfied his heart's desires. And if you are a child of God, you have the access and the privilege to seek and enjoy the glory of God. The glory of God emanates from the presence of God. Do you want to dwell in the presence of God? Well, I believe then you need to seek the voice of God. And if you're going to hear the voice of God, to dwell in the presence of God and be satisfied by the glory of God, we must look for it in the word of God. You want to seek and enjoy God's presence? You want to dwell and find God's glory? Here are four words, four words that if you employ, you will find God's presence and be satisfied in your hearts. First, desire. Desire the presence of God. We don't see God with our eyes, so we desire it by faith. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. How do I desire God? Hunger for God. Crave him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Tell me. Do you know? Because they will be satisfied. Desire God's presence. Then this, seek God's presence. Seek God's presence like you were seeking a person, yet one who you cannot see with your own eyes. David, King David, when he sought God's presence, he went to a physical place. He went to the temple. We, when we seek God's presence, we must go to his word. When we hear his voice, we dwell with his presence. Desire him. Seek him. And then behold him. Not just to as look once and then turn away, but to see God in his word and to behold it, to gaze upon it, to meditate on it, to think on and on and on of the glory and the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the holiness and all of the perfections of God. Desire it. Seek it. Behold it and then celebrate it. We always, as human beings, want to find joy or try to find joy by celebrating the things by which we attribute value to. I love my job so much. I'm going to work so hard at my job. It gives me so much joy. I love the celebrity so much. His work is so great. I'm going to celebrate his work. It gives me so much joy. There is no one of more value and no one of higher worth than Jesus Christ. And because his glory surpasses all others, there is no greater joy that you can experience than celebrating the glories of Jesus Christ. Desire him. Seek him. Behold him. Celebrate him. And maybe you know, you know you have not been seeking after God. 
and you know you've been chasing after vain things. Maybe someone's told you recently, why does he keep playing all those video games? Can't she think about anything else other than boys? And maybe someone's like, man, he's just out of control. There's no self-control. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about this. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant to be offered a holiday by the sea, we are far too easily pleased. But to seek after God's glory and to be satisfied, that comes from his grace. Grace is offered or earned by another, offered uh, by the Lord. It is received in humble contrition. It is enjoyed inexhaustibly. And then this last one, this I hope will offer you hope. Uh, this I believe will offer you hope as we come to a close. Grace is secured eternally. Grace is secured eternally. I'd like you to turn your Bibles over to chapter 19 of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 19. We're going to see in this how Mephibosheth truly adored David. Even though for a period of his life, he was absent. A long period of his life, he was absent from the table of the king. You see, after his first encounter with King David... There was a kind of a civil war in Israel. David's son, Absalom, revolted against his father and tried to take the throne. And it was so severe that David actually had to go, go away in hiding for a while. And he wanted all those people who were loyal to him to go with him, including Mephibosheth. But now we start to learn that Ziba, this guy who was supposed to be a servant, was actually like a real jerk and wanted to take uh, what King David offered him. So he tricked Mephibosheth. He deceived him so that he could not join Ziba to go with David into hiding. And for a long time, he was absent from the presence of the king. But then Absalom was defeated. David took the throne again, and Mephibosheth came back. And this was what happened. 2 Samuel 19, verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until the day that he came back safely. It wasn't because he had bad hygiene. It's because he was mourning, so grieved that he wasn't with the person he loved. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, O Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But the lord, my king, listen to the adoration, is like the angel of God. And then he doesn't try and justify himself. Do therefore whatever seems good to you. This right here, verse 28, this is my favorite verse in all of the Bible. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before the Lord my king. But you set your servant amongst those who have eaten at your table. 
What further right have I then to cry to the king? The king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Zibish shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Love this adoration right here. Oh, let him take it all, since my lord has come home safely. Grace is secured eternally. All Mephibosheth wanted after a time of absence was to be back with the king that he loved. And some of you I know have realized that you have been so absent for so long from the Lord who bought you, from the Lord your God, from the Lord who is jealous for you. Grace is secured eternally, even for you. And this is good news, because just like you, I am prone to wander. Do you remember the, th this line from that song? I'll read the whole verse for you. Beautiful, beautiful song. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Grace is secured eternally, and this is good news because I'm prone to wander. And this will awaken adoration in my heart because it proves, it proves that God is faithful. Christian who has been wandering, if you need a verse of hope today, this is your verse. 2 Timothy chapter 11, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It says, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, that's like denying him fully, he will also deny us. If we remain faithless, do you know what it says? He will remain faithful. Why? For he cannot deny himself. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are born again, you are so united to the Lord through the Holy Spirit that even though you have been faithless for a season, the Father says, if I, were to, if I were to deny him, I would be denying myself. And the Lord will never deny himself what is his. And you are his. So come back. Come back as Mephibosheth did. Confess. Confess your sin as you need and know you need to. You may have distanced yourself from the Lord but the Lord will not deny you. This is a God worthy of adoration, is it not? A God who is faithful even when we are faithless. A God who offers us joy that satisfies. A God who will not despise us. A God whose love is proven to us. And a God who is so great and who is worthy of all the praise. And we worship him for these things because he has shown us his grace. The good news of grace, Christian, will awaken within your heart adoration. Are you praising God today? Turn to the Lord. Tear down the dams. 
receive his grace, and your heart will awaken to adoration and great joy because of what he offers in Christ. This is what he has for us. Will we seek it together? Please stand with me and let's pray to our Lord. Father, thank you for the privilege of being chosen to dwell in your presence. Moses was right when he said, what is it that makes us distinct from all the people amongst the earth? Is it not your presence amongst us? Father, we know that we have access to your holy and awesome and fearful presence, your mighty and beautiful presence. We only have access to this because we are cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This only by your grace, nothing that we earned. This, thank you for the gift of faith. And thank you that when we dwell with you, Lord God, our hearts are awoken to adoration. Father, forgive us for the vain things we have praised. Forgive us for the vain things that we have chased after. Forgive us for the things that never satisfy that we love more than you. But Lord, beckon to each one of us. Your word said is that it is your kindness that calls us to repentance. Let's show us your kindness now, Lord. And we will come, we will desire and seek and behold and celebrate because you created us for this. And you've shown us this is our calling because of your grace. We are yours. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.